Welcome back to the Hemingway List Podcast. It's the best podcast that you know of. Talking about Of Human Bondage, Chapter 21. Cognitive dissonance hard in play there. Ouch. And discussion prompt number two. A very likely story, Mr. Author. Yeah, I quit school right before I was definitely going to get an Oxford scholarship and half the available awards. Lol. Lol. A little bit sarcastic on that one, but that's okay. Tonight's episode is brought to you by a peppermint tea. Which is really hot and painful to drink. But it's also quite nice. Swim said the mama fishy said, Actually, I find this scenario very believable based on my three kids' adolescence. All three would not have had to take on debt to go to college so money was not the issue as it would not have been for Philip my old you must have had some smart kids my eldest son absolutely refused to go on to college after high school he was sick of school he eventually decided to go back on his own and did that did get that degree he was sorry that he didn't go right after school he conveniently forgot how much I argued with him his with his stubborn ass at the time and told me I should have insisted more. My jaw dropped to the floor at the sheer temerity of his statement. The middle son completely eschewed college. He didn't think college was needed and went off to a Silicon Valley to make his way. To my surprise, that actually did work out. My third son was conventional, did go right on to college and graduated. Moral of the story, it all worked out in the end for all three. I don't think Philip would have been happy at Oxford. I think he is having that feeling of regret one can have after making a big decision. The road not taken and all that. Wow. Hey, you did good child raising. Um, Well done. Uh, Yeah, the thing... What did you say there? The thing about regretting after a decision. That's what I mean with the cognitive dissonance. I once read an article about cognitive dissonance and how that you can be sure that it has been happening if you feel buyer's remorse. Because when you're trying to make a decision to like buy something or lock something in, then you'll like fixate on one and you'll sort of dismiss all of the pros and cons of like, you'll you'll focus on the pros of the thing you want and you'll ignore all the cons and, and vice versa. Like you won't hear reason if there's something that your, your heart is set on. And um, like, so when you're trying to buy something, you'll be convinced that you've found the right thing and you won't even look at the other options. And then as soon as it's like too late, as soon as it's kind of the function of the cognitive dissonance is finished and the decision's locked in, like you've made the purchase, then all of the things that you should have considered will rush in. They won't be dissonanted anymore. Hmm. So that's why I thought he had some cognitive dissonance. He wouldn't listen to reason. Even though he kind of wants to stay now, he... uh, No, wait. It it wasn't until it was too late that he suddenly decided that he kind of wanted to stay. Jan Brunt said this. What a wonderful chapter. Positively overflowing with feeling. Will Philip get a new start in Germany? He will hopefully redefine himself. I've always heard wherever you go there you are 
and it's applied keenly to my own life. It takes a lot more than changing location to change your life. A type of change comes from within. Meeting a lot of new people and having new experiences will alleviate his teenage angst, so I'm looking forward to the exciting adventures of Philip Carey Continental. I think just for, like... Actually, I was going to say for, like, plot reasons, I hope he goes abroad, because, like, that'll be more interesting, but also, it would be kind of cool to have a bit of, like, an Oxford setting, you know? I'm sure none of us got to go to Oxford in 1910, so... This would be cool. What year even is it? I can't remember. I don't think it is actually 1910. Phil Fix, Fix the Blue said, Wall of text coming. Sorry, long chapter and I made notes as I read. So yeah, here are my thoughts. All right, here we go. This is as long as the chapter. Should I read it? Should I? <laughs> you put a lot of effort into this comment, so I'm going to read it. Uh, with Aunt Louisa... Um, Wrinkled face and pale, tired eyes, her grey hair still done in the frivolous ringlets of her youth. She was a ridiculous but strangely pathetic figure. Philip saw it for the first time. Yikes, this made me feel so sorry for Aunt Louisa. She's not a bad person by any means, and though misguided, she really only wants to the best for Philip. This whole chapter just made me feel so sad for her. It was almost scathing in places, taking about a wasted li- talking about a wasted life and how pathetic she is. Poor woman. Um... I didn't really feel sorry for her too badly. I mean, um, no, sorry, I did feel sorry for her. I didn't feel that she was pathetic, is what I should say. Um, But it was a bit sad. Everything's out of her hands. Everything's out of her control. I'm not going to read the rest of your wall of text, uh, even though it is probably a really good comment, only because I want to do this podcast before I go to sleep. And I'm tired. Um, speaking of doing a bad job of podcasting, you can support the podcast at patreon.com slash the Hemingway list for as little as $1 per month or as much as $1 million per month. If you feel like it, I'm a Norwegian said this, another great chapter. The dialogue itself is always a little jarring. As I mentioned every time, oh, that's tea still too hot to drink. As I mentioned every time there's dialogue really, but the narration is still making Philip appear strangely relatable. Um, the dialogue is so British. It's comically British. I love it. Edit. Oh, and yesterday was one of those apiarist, apiarist chapters of War and Peace. I couldn't help remembering you ranting about those. And uh, I may have ranted about them, but I don't know what apiarist means. So let me Google it. Ah, beekeeping. I did rant about the beekeeping chapters. They were dumb. They were dumb chapters. Don't get me started on that. Um, But please do link to the podcast where I ranted about the beekeeping because I think I would be amused to listen back to that like, what, like a year and a half later. Um, (laughs) I was the only one who hated it. Everyone else in the whole subreddit loved the beekeeping and I was not into it. Uh... Okay, Entrepa said this, I realise that this is the first chapter I've read where I didn't feel sorry for Philip because of how he was treated. His tender moments with Aunt Louisa melt my heart. They are in such a contrast to most of his thoughts and feelings that it makes them all the sweeter. Philip finally got what he wanted, then regretted it. I can't say why, but I feel like this isn't the tragedy it appears to be. 
There's something valuable about achieving something you want and then living with the consequences that makes you wiser in ways that nothing else can. Great chapter. Did anyone find it out? Anyone else find it like a little bit sus that um, this is autobiographical? So he's writing it sort of about his own youth. And it's just like one of those humble brags of like, he talks about how many awards he nearly got, but he just quit just one month or so before he got all the awards. So there's no proof, you know, but I would have got him. It's like this one time I was nearly about to win this race in my really cool fast car, but then I just, at the end, like right before the finish line, they were going to give me all these awards and money and like babes and stuff. I just didn't want it anymore. So I just like stopped racing whatever it's cool i didn't really feel like it anymore um but you just have to take my word for it in my autobiography all right anyway this is the next chapter it goes like this it's called chapter 22 (laughs) that's not the name of the chapter that's what number it is uh uncle philip's uncle sorry philip's uncle had an old friend called miss watkin wilkinson who lived in berlin she was the daughter of a clergyman and (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know what's funny as I just told a stupid joke which didn't really amuse me but then I said the name of the chapter wrong and I find that so funny um, um, that, why does that crack me up that I said the name of the chapter wrong I don't know but I'll start it again chapter 22 goes like this <clears throat> Philip's uncle had an old friend called Miss Wilkinson who lived in Berlin She was the daughter of a clergyman, and it was with her father, the rector of a village in Lincolnshire, that Mr. Carey had spent his last curacy on his death, forced to earn her living. She had taken various situations as a governess in France and Germany. She had kept up a correspondence with Mrs. Carey, and two or three times had spent her holidays at Blackstable Vicarage, paying as was usual with the Carey's unfrequent guests a small sum for her keep. When it became clear that it was less trouble to yield to Philip's wishes than to resist them, Mrs. Carey wrote to her to ask her for advice. Miss Wilkinson recommended Heidelberg as an excellent place to learn German in and as an excellent place to learn German in and the house of Frau Professor Erlin as a comfortable home. Philip might live there for 30 marks a week, and the professor himself, a teacher at the local high school, would instruct him. Philip arrived at Heidelberg one morning in May. His things were put on a barrow, and he followed the porter out of the station. The sky was bright blue, and the trees in the avenue through which they passed were thick with leaves. There was something in the air fresh to Philip, and mingled with the timidity... He felt at entering on a new life among strangers was a great great exhilaration. He was a little disconsolate that no one had come to meet him and felt very shy when the porter left him at the front door of a big white house. An untidy lad let him in and took him into the drawing room. It was filled with a large suite covered in green velvet and in the middle was a round table. On this, in water, stood a bouquet of flowers tightly packed together in a paper frill, like the bone of a mutton chop, and carefully spaced around it were books in leather bindings. There was a musty smell. 
Presently, with an odour of cooking, the Frau Professor came in, a short, very stout woman with tightly dressed hair and a red face. She had little eyes, sparkling like beads, and an effusive manner. She took both Philip's hands and asked him about Miss Wilkinson, who had twice spent a few weeks with her. She spoke in German and in broken English. Philip could not make her understand that he did not know Miss Wilkinson. Then her two daughters appeared. They seemed hardly young to Philip, but perhaps they were not more than 25. The elder, Thekla, was was as short as her mother with the same... Thekla. Thekla was as short as her mother with the same rather shifty air, but with a pretty face and abundant dark hair. Anna... Her younger sister was tall and plain, but since she had a pleasant smile, Philip immediately preferred her. After a few minutes of polite conversation, the Frau Professor took Philip to his room and left him. It was in a turret, looking over the tops of the trees, in the anlage, and the bed was in an alcove, so that when you sat at the desk it had not the look of a bedroom at all. Philip unpacked his things and set out all his books. He was his own master at last. A bell summoned him to dinner at one o'clock and he found the Frau Professor's guests assembled in the drawing room. He was introduced to her husband, a tall man of middle age with a f- large fair head, turning now to grey and mild blue eyes. He spoke to Philip in correct, rather archaic English, having learned it from a study of the English classics, not from conversation, and it was odd to hear him use words colloquially which Philip had only met in the plays of Shakespeare. Frau Professor Erlin called her establishment a family and not a pension, but it would have required the subtlety of a metaphysician to find out exactly where the difference lay. When they sat down to dinner in a long, dark apartment that led out of the drawing room, Philip, feeling very shy, saw that there were sixteen people. The Frau Professor sat at one end and carved. The service was conducted with a a great clattering of plates by the same clumsy lout who had opened the door for him, and though he was quick, it happened that the first persons to be served had finished before the last had received their appointed portions. The Frau Professor insisted that nothing but German should be spoken, so that Philip, even if his bashfulness had permitted him to be talkative, was forced to hold his tongue. He looked at the people among whom he was to live. By the Frau Professor sat several old ladies, but Philip did not give them much of his attention. There were two young girls, both fair, and one of them very pretty whom Philip heard addressed as Fraulein Hedwig and Fraulein Cassiel. Cassiel. Cassili? Oh, God. Cassili. 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 I'm going to go with Cassili. Fraulein Cassili had a long pigtail, pigtail hanging down. I'm saying that so wrong. Cassili. Fraulein... Fraulein, I hate other languages, had a long pigtail hanging down her back. They sat side by side and chatted to one another with smothered laughter. Now and then they glanced at Philip and one of them said something in an undertone. They both giggled and Philip blushed awkwardly, feeling that they were making fun of him. Near them sat a Chinaman. I don't think you can say that anymore. Near them sat a Chinaman with a yellow face and an expansive smile. 
who was studying Western conditions at the university. He spoke so quickly with a queer accent that the girls could not always understand him, and then they burst out laughing. He laughed too, good-humouredly, and his almond eyes almost closed as he did so. There were two or three American men in black coats, rather yellow and dry of skin. They were theological students. Philip heard the twang of their New England accent through their bad German, and he glanced at them with suspicion, for he had been taught to look upon Americans as wild and desperate barbarians. Afterwards, when they sat for a little on the stiff green velvet chairs of the drawing room, Fraulein Anna asked Philip if he would like to go for a walk with them. Philip, Philip accepted the invitation. They were quite a party. There were the two daughters of the Frau, Professor, the two other girls, one of the American students, and Philip. Philip walked by the side of Anna and Fraulein Hedwig. He was a little fluttered. He had never known any girls. At Blacksable, there were only the farmer's daughters and the girls of the local tradesmen. He knew them by name and by sight, but he was timid, and he thought they laughed at his deformity. He accepted willingly the difference which the vicar and Mrs. Carey put between their own exalted rank and that of the farmers. The doctor had two daughters, but they were both much older than Philip and had been married to successive assistants while Philip was still a small boy. At school there had been two or three girls of more boldness than modesty whom some of the boys knew, and desperate stories due in all probability to the masculine imagination were told of intrigues with them. But Philip had always concealed under a lofty contempt the terror with which they filled him. His imagination and the books he had read had inspired in him a desire for the Byronic attitude, and he was torn between a morbid self-consciousness and a conviction that he owed it to himself to be gallant. He felt now that he should be bright and amusing, but his brain seemed empty, and he could not, for the life of him, think of anything to say. Fraulein Anna, the Frau's professor's, the Frau professor's daughter, addressed herself to him frequently from a sense of duty, but the other said little. She looked at him now and then with sparkling eyes, and sometimes, to his confusion, laughed outright. Philip. <laughs> I don't even know what I'm laughing at, to be honest. <clears throat> Philip felt that she thought him perfectly ridiculous. They walked along the side of a hill among pine trees, and their pleasant odour caused Philip a keen delight. The day was warm and cloudless. At last they came to an eminence from which they saw the valley of the Rhine spread out before them under the sun. It was a vast stretch of country, sparkling with golden light, with cities in the distance, and through it meandered the silver rebound of the river. Wide spaces are rare in the corner of Kent which Philip knew. The sea offers the only broad horizon, and the immense distance he saw now gave him a peculiar and indescribable thrill. He felt suddenly elated. Though he did not know it, it was the first time that he had experienced, quite undiluted with foreign emotions, the sense of beauty. They sat on a bench, the three of them, for the others had gone on, and while the girls talked in rapid German, Philip, indifferent to their proximity, feasted his eyes. By Jove, I am happy, he said to himself, unconsciously.
All right, there we go. Another chapter down. Philip's happy. Wow. Good on you, Phil. Have your say over at the subreddit. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you tomorrow.